Hi, Priya. Hey, Jeff. So we've come to this video, Clotting Abnormalities. Yay. <laughs> it's one of the um, topics that some candidates can be scared of because it can be quite confusing. Yeah. But we hope to make this video um, to um, make it as simple as possible uh, for you to understand. There's only one objective um, in this video is to make sure that you can understand and interpret the basic clotting results. So let, next slide, please. So I can't continue or proceed without showing you this clotting cascade, which looks more complicated than you think. Now, in simple terms, we are trying to divide this picture into three boxes, okay? One is intrinsic pathway. Another one is extrinsic pathway. And the third one is common pathway in red. Okay. So understanding these three pathways would help tremendously um, on interpreting uh, clotting screen results. Now, let's start with intrinsic pathway. There are a couple of factors on there. As you can see, factor 12, 11, 9, and 8. Okay. And look at extrinsic pathway. It's even more simple. It's just factor 7 there. Now, these two pathways do join up to become common pathway. And there comes the name. From factor 10 onwards. Factor 10, factor 5, factor 2, factor 1. So these four factors are at the common pathway. Okay. So in a nutshell, three pathways, intrinsic, extrinsic, common. And at 10 and beyond, it's common pathway. 10, 5, 2, 1. Okay, let's go to the next slide to look at some of the lab results that we may get. Yeah. When we send a clotting screen, we normally send for PT, prothrombin time, APTT, activated partial thromboplastin time. And in some hospital, they also give you the fibrinogen level as well. Now, PT measures the extrinsic pathway as well as the common pathway. The easier way to remember is T stands for tennis and you play tennis outdoors. One of our consultants um, told us this. APTT, the last two T's stand for table tennis. So you play table, table tennis indoor, so it's intrinsic pathway plus the common pathway. So now Priya, question for you, what factors affect the PT? If I tell you P 
PT measures the extrinsic as well as the common pathways? So it will be factor seven as well as 10, five, two, and one. Good. What about APTT if I tell you that the factors in intrinsic pathway and common pathways are measured? So that would be 12, 11, 9, 8, and again, 10, 5, 2, 1. That's right. What about fibrinogen? So fibrinogen is the end of the whole clotting cascade. So if that is low, then I'm assuming that that will affect both the PT and the APTT. So they'll both be prolonged. Yes. The fibrinogen is factor one and it's in the end stage of the common pathway. Hmm. So if fibrinogen is low, APTT and PT are also going to be prolonged. Okay, if we just uh, remember fibrinogen is the last factor, factor one. Yeah. Okay. Now, that is essentially what your clotting tests are going to tell you. Yeah? yeah. If there is um, any anticoagulation effect um, affecting certain factors, they will be reflected on these values. Okay. And if there is any factor deficiency affecting any of this factor, they will also affect these values corresponding to which factors that are deficient. So I'm going to hand over to you um, to look at how to interpret um, these results yeah. and what are the steps that can help us draw a final conclusion. Thank you, Jeff. Um, so looking at the workup of a patient, um, so if we are referred somebody who has a clotting abnormality, the first thing we'll always ask is to repeat the test, um, just because there can be so many factors that can affect a clotting uh, level. Um, for example, um, you may remember like the lab often calling you saying that your sample's underfilled, which is probably the most frustrating call you may get um, when you try to take some blood tests from a patient. Um, or there may be um, because of the way it's sat out in the sun for many hours. And all these things can actually influence the clotting test, which is why it's so important to repeat it if it's abnormal, to be sure it's a true abnormality. The next thing is that we often will ask for bleeding history from the patient. So has this patient had a long history of bleeding? You know, what's been going on? We may even take history up, you know, from their childhood to see, you know, is this something that's been there for a while? Um, and what we look for is challenges. So what we mean by that is, you know, have they had any surgical procedures and had complications from this? In terms, you know, in women who've had children, did they have problems after delivering their babies? Did they bleed a lot? So we do go into a bit more detail. Um, when we're asking these things. So it's always good to mention this if you're asked in an interview that you would take a bleeding history. And the next thing, you know, as Jeff has already alluded to is um, medication. So um, anticoagulants that they're taking, any recent injections, anything at all, it's always good to know what medications some patients have been taking. So if we do confirm that the coagulation is abnormal, um, you may notice that uh, often we will say to you that we need to do a 50-50. 
So essentially that's a, a posh way of us saying like we're trying to mix the blood sample we've got with some normal blood samples with which have the normal levels of factors because as Jeff has already said, um, the reason they're prolonged is because the factors are deficient um, and that's what we're looking for. So that's why we asked to do these mixing studies to confirm our suspicions. So if the PT is prolonged, we'll do a mixing study to see that if we add in a normal amount of factor seven, does it correct it? And if it does, then it kind of confirms our you know, suspicion that there's a factor seven deficiency. And the same with an APTT, if it's prolonged and we mix it with some normal plasma with lots of factors that are missing, um, then we will confirm that there's a factor deficiency within the intrinsic pathway. So if we do confirm these mixing studies and they show that they're correcting with the normal amount of factors and essentially that the patient is missing these factors, we will then do more specialist tests and measure the factor levels as well. And this is something, you know, if you're working in a district general hospital, we would send these off to a specialist centre to um, look for these as well. Um, you may hear us mentioning a von Willebrand screen. I don't expect you to know this at your level, um, but it's just something if you are pushed in an interview, uh, particularly if you're doing very well and want to score some extra points, you can mention this, that you you know, you know could consider doing that as in working up someone with abnormal clotting or with an abnormal bleeding history. The other thing you should also be aware of is a, a lupus anticoagulant. Um, and essentially what this is, is that it's within the patient's blood and essentially causes the APTT in particular, sometimes the PT, to be prolonged. But it mean, doesn't mean the patient has a factor deficiency. So it's essentially an immune problem, so a laboratory problem is the easiest way. Um, so what we'll do is we'll often ask you to check this if we're working up someone who's got abnormal clotting because it doesn't actually have any clinical significance. It doesn't mean the patient's going to bleed. It just means that we have to use different assays when we do the tests in this patient. Um, so that's why we talk about lupus anticoagulant. And then the other thing is obviously to look for other causes. So liver disease is very common um, and can be associated with clotting abnormalities because the liver is a huge source for this. It produces a lot of factors. Uh, renal disease as well can be associated with clotting abnormalities, um, as well as malignancies, so aggressive cancers as well. Um, DIC um, is in particular can be associated with malignancy, but also in other conditions such as overwhelming sepsis um, and especially in the pregnancy setting as well. So these are other things you should probably mention if you are um, working up someone with abnormal clotting results. Um, so I'm hoping that this is, uh, you know, as we, we've tried to make quite a complex topic as simple as we can. Um, and certainly I think we're hoping to just give you enough for you to know for your interview um, for the haematology training. Um, Jeff, have I missed anything or? You're on mute, lovely Jeff. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, we do have a couple of other videos. There's one on um, bleeding on anticoagulation and that tells you uh, what uh, clotting test would be deranged uh, corresponding to what anticoagulation mm -hmm. uh, the patient is on and also we are also going to do a couple of clinical scenarios um, to go a bit more into details what sort of questions you may ask and also uh, 
give you a couple of examples on um, how to explain uh, some uh, deranged clotting test. So I think in this video, uh, we just really want to highlight um, the picture. Um, so go back and have a read um, and try and dissect it a little bit more um, for, to help you understand um, the PT, APTT and fibrinogen. Last but not least, sometimes we use INR and PT interchangeably. INR is designed as a test de derived from the PT to specifically measure warfarin level. So some hematologists don't like you saying um, INR um, if the patient is not on warfarin. So be careful in interview um, to always stick with PT unless the patient's on warfarin, then you can, of course, say uh, INR. Thank you very much, Jeff. Um, I hope you guys have find this useful. Thank you. Thank you.